makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. It's about power. Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with a good heart. It's good for all of us to be here. You are listening to First Voices Radio and Teokasin Ghost Tour, sending you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Asopus, or what Americans in Dutch call the Catskill Mountains. Regardless, it is the highlands of the Asopus and the lands of the Munsee-speaking Lenape. This is an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio, and Liz Hill is the producer of First Voices Radio. Today on First Voices Radio, Maria Blanco and Amar Copacate, who has been a frequent guest this year, is an intercultural artist and a museum textile conservator. He is a lifelong student of his indigenous Aymara heritage in honor of his native community of Quilana Soca, Puno, Peru. And Maria Blanco is the daughter of Hugo Blanco Galdos, a living legend, one of the constellation of elders who have left this time of calendars and progress and exploitation to live the life of plenitude and freedom and struggle. Well, today we'll talk about Peru in the last few months, in the last month or so, the anti-government protest that killed dozens and dealt body blows to some of Peru's most critical sectors are starting to wane, but they have left their mark on the country's economy, especially mining operations. But for the last three months, ability to mine copper and other mineral rich, such as lithium, were paralyzed. And the rail lines leading to the ancient Inca citadel, like, like much of Peru's economy, were ground to a halt. And as we have reported, Peru has endured seven presidents in seven years. The chaotic ascension of President Dina Boliarte in December, following the removal of her predecessor, Pedro Castillo, plunged the country into violence unseen in decades. And despite a 77% disapproval rating, Uliarte has held a white-knuckle grip on power and a deadlock between the executive and judiciary has stalled hopes for new elections this year, a key demand of protesters. The unrest, which has left more than 50 dead, has been concentrated in the mineral-rich and heavily indigenous highlands where vast copper reserves have allowed Peru to surpass China as the world's second-largest producer. And here to update us... Again, our two guests, Maria Blanco and Aymar Copacate. 
we're trying to keep up with what's going on in Peru. And right. there's a lot, even today, there's been an earthquake there. And there's also the whole idea of lithium, which I really want to bring to light here because in that area of Peru, Bolivia, Argentina, Chile, the PRC or the People's Republic of China is, is supposedly involved with investing. And I think 60% of that, the world's lithium comes out of that region. That's what people are not paying attention to. So we'll make it a political provocation, so to speak. So the West domination comes in to try to stem the tide of other international nations like China, Russia, even named Iran as part of the influx of foreign investments taking over the resources that the United States, to me, is trying to say, well, it's in our protection. The West is in our protection, so therefore we have to protect our interests. These other countries don't take over our resources that are located in these countries. I want to address that this way. Uh, but first, I want to welcome you both, Maria and Imar, to First Voices Radio. So I want to welcome you both and thank you for the discussion today of the, the underpinnings of when this started. And I know, Maria, you have your father who was very involved since that get-go or the early 60s with in Peru, Hugo Blanco Galdos, which you are his daughter. And I want to maybe start with you and give us sort of this constellation of Peru leading up to these protests and the current political situation. Okay, thank you so much. Uh, I would first like to say thank you for your invitation. And I'm so happy to to be able to talk to, to you that also uh, belong to uh, indigenous in uh, North America. Uh, I read your name is Ghost Horse, is it correct? Yes. yes. Yes, correct. Okay, so thank you so much. I think that the, well, to make international connections for the people that want to change this capitalistic system and also the people fighting in, in, uh, in different territories of the world is, is very crucial because the capitalistic uh, companies they have a lot of, of different interaction in between each other and a lot of connections and webs. So we really need to have that by ourselves too. We really need to connect the people that want something different. So I, I applaud you, the, uh, this initi initiative that you have. And, and uh, well, uh, also, of course, I, I would like to say something about the situation in Peru right now. I think it is a what is happening now is due to many things. It's, of course, due to the, the lithium that we have in what is called the, the southern cone there in, in South America, in Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, and also in Peru. There have been, well, many findings now of, of lithium, and we have heard also the... Uh, I don't know what you call it, the chief commander or, or of uh, the CONOSU, uh, the uh, South uh, Command, Southern Command, uh, which is connected to the, the, this is a part of the U.S. military, right? And she said that, well, this is a place of big interest for us and we need to protect the democracy in this in this place of, of Earth. And there are many people interested from and many companies from China also interested. So that, for me, is 
well, it's a proof of of uh, the United States uh, politics being really uh, into the situation and being a part of it. And we also know that Dina Boluarte, the dictator now of, of Peru, uh, that she had a meeting with a uh, with a U.S. ambassador, and uh, that is so uh, one of the first people she met up with, with was with the U.S. ambassador in Lima. And that is also for us a proof of, I mean, it's an approval from from the U.S. And probably it's also an agreement. I mean, she had this meeting with a Peruvian ambassador, with a, a U.S. ambassador. And just after that, she declared um, um, a state of the emergency of state in many places in the country where people were racing. So then she got a backup. To do this, I'm sure. Um, well, that's one thing. And then another thing that that for us is is also obvious is that um, just this year, uh, 2023, is the year when uh, a lot of agreements, of trading agreements with the territories of indigenous people are running out this year. And these are agreements of 30, 40 years we are talking about. These are uh, concessions that the Peruvian state has done without asking the people living in the territories, without asking the indigenous people, despite that we have a law that says that it's needed to ask if you're going to do something uh, on indigenous territories. But these concessions uh, have been concessions of mining under open air and also uh, oil, extraction of oil. And they have very much damaged uh, the territories. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of people in Peru in these territories now that suffer from having heavy metals in their bodies and uh, in in, uh, and also, I mean, the, the people in the Amazon, the indigenous people in the Amazon are suffering a lot. They cannot eat the fish from the rib, Amazon river anymore. So they have, actually, it sounds so contradictory that people that live in one of the richest um, places on earth, if it, when it comes to biodiversity, that they cannot eat the fish from the rivers anymore and that they cannot um they cannot uh, eat also they cannot even even chase the animals in the in the forest anymore because they have been like so restricted so they their areas now are a lot smaller than what they were and uh, well that they can they have a problem uh, getting food that's the reality so now a lot of this year a lot of of these uh, concessions were running out and since we have had many many social protests during the years um, the peruvian government everybody knew i mean all these uh, big companies that have their economical interests in these territories they knew it would be really hard to renew this without uh, using violence actually so why we have a, a dictatorship now, I think, is really very closely connected to this situation. And also, I, I think it's, it's important to notice that 
Dina Boluarte is only a brick in this game and that the real economical interests uh, behind this are run by, uh, I think, Keiko Fujimori, that is the daughter of the ex-dictator from the 90s. Um, because that is a mafia and they never let go of the Peruvian politics. And they have connections to, I mean, to everybody and they have like tentacles in every, everywhere. So so that's why we have a, a big problem also with the, with the legal system. Thank you so much for that, Maria. You know, you talk about the trade agreements, 40 years of concessions. Is this a point of contention for the current political party perspective of why the United States is Westerners are coming in to seize uh, the trade agreements, but also to make sure that Native people are not involved? See, I'm, I'm going a little bit further than maybe I should. What mm -hmm. I'm saying is that because... Native people cannot eat from the river the fish that it will tend to make Native people or Indigenous peoples more dependent on the capitalistic societies that are coming in to extract resources. You see the bridging of this? What I'm saying is like the resourcing, not just of, of the land, literally, but of the people to maybe become more dependent on whatever political situation is there, which is so-called democracy, Right. And I think there's this idea of defending democracies for the sake of its own democracy. I think these things aren't being told outright. They're just kind of, we'll keep them in a system of, uh, of questioning the economic resources and not go deeper than, than we can with indigenous peoples. These, the, the indigenous people that see their territories getting destroyed or polluted that they would get more dependent on the capitalistic system and on the same companies that exploit their territories, right? Right. Yes. It's, it's a toxic nature of the political situation. Mm, yes, it is. It is a toxic nature of the political situation. But despite of that, actually, you can see uh, people not giving up their territories. I mean, in, in the Espinal province of the Cusco region, that is really close to where where I come from. Uh, there you can see that there are divisions, great divisions in the population. You can see people really not giving up and fighting, but you can also see people wanting to trade with the companies or wanting more money from the companies. Or, I mean, the companies are really awful also because they let out so many heavy metals in the water and in the on the lands so the the crops die uh, the, the animals die and then they get new animals from the company all the time and the animals die and they die and they die and they get new animals this is also like a terrible situation right mm -hmm. but you can also see really uh, people that are really inspiring and that never give up and that organize themselves and and continue the struggle that has been a struggle for more than 500 mm -hmm. years now mm -hmm. um, since the invasion of of the Europeans. So this you can also see in the in the northern Amazonas and in all of Amazonas. But in in northern Amazonas we have uh, the One Piece uh, that are uh, indigenous. An, an indigenous people that actually 
um, proclaim their own nation within mm. the nation of Peru. But they say that they have an autonomous nation and an autonomous government within their territory, which I find very good and very interesting in this situation of crisis also. That's a good thing. And this is also something that you can see a little bit of. There is a there is an organization in Peru called Rondas Campesinas, which means that peasants with actually with a support in the Peruvian law system, peasants can, peasants like small peasants in Peru are almost always also belonging in the on big majority of cases belonging to to indigenous uh, uh, people, to indigenous tribes. So that peasants uh, can uh, walk around their territory uh, without arms, but like with sticks, <laughs> um, <laughs> and patrolling their territory by night time or by whatever time, as often as they want, as a people, and taking turns, like all the adult people can take turns controlling your territory and controlling who gets in and who gets out. This is something that peasants and indigenous people in northern Peruvian Andes, um, well, they gained this, this, they fought for this because they had a, uh, problems with people stealing cows uh, from each other in the 70s. And then since the police never came, never cared when they called the police, then they started to organize by themselves. But when they later on had problems because there was an internal war in Peru in the 80s with terrorism on one side and the military on the other side and both attacking the indigenous people as always, then they could defend their territories there, both from the military and from this uh, guerrilla by uh, controlling their territory thanks to these rondas campesinas. And after that, in the 90s and in the uh, 20s, they have been defending themselves from mining companies this way in northern Peru. So we can see that now this has become a national uh, organization, which is very diverse and has its local, uh, well, characters. But... Uh, still, it is an, an organization that works very good where it, uh, well, in these places where people are organized like this. And I, I find a big hope in this. I think that in, in these situations now of dictatorship, of companies coming in and military and police defending these companies, probably in a, in a more violent way than ever now that we have that, that we have a dictatorship, this Rondas Campesinas organization will be crucial. Uh, they, they have always attacked, I mean, the companies have always attacked this law and they have always tried to abolish the law. But still, a lot of people have died to have this law and to defend this law and still we have this law. So this is like a right, it's, it's a law parallel to the other law. It's, it's a law uh, that gives, that, that, well, we, that gives the the Aboriginal people, the indigenous people, the right to have their own law system and to make uh, justice within their territories, like also for other other things that happens within their territories, they can make justice.
Maria, you talked about a little bit about uh, maybe the laws that govern territories, but I'm wondering about so-called international laws, such as the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and if that has any teeth at all with Peru when it comes to mentioning free, prior, and informed consent. How effective is that within even the autonomous nations within Peru? Oh, you know, it's very beautiful, I think, because a lot of, I mean, even people that don't know almost, that almost, maybe people that that are analphabets even, indigenous analphabets, even though they know about the 169 from the OIT, (laughs) because this is a law that we always lean on. And this is a law that we that we always talk about when we want to defend our territories, because in a state as Peru, where indigenous people has so little right, actually, and are uh, are not listened to, like almost never, it's a so such a colonial state, such a racist state still. So uh, we need to appeal a lot of times to international law to make ourselves heard. Maria, you talked about the peasants and, and indigenous peoples having to buy cattle or goats or whatever livestock consistently because of the, the livestock are dying. But where is the sources for getting the money to buy uh, an unending recyclable thing is where they're buying cattle. But where are they getting the money to do this? Are they giving up the agreements so that they can keep even their family or the villages alive because of that? That people, the indigenous people living in the Amazon, they buy, as I know, they buy chicken, for example, just to eat. Uh, so if they want meat, they buy the meat nowadays. But mm. but they, gr- they grow crops like yucca, manioc, I think you call it in, in English. Yeah. And in the, in the Andes, a lot of people still can grow on their land. And the people that are like in the in those places where not so many things grow, they have like animals that, that that eat. And then since they die, and it's obvious that they died because of the company, then the company gives them new cows or new sheep. So mm. it gives them, doesn't, they don't have to buy? The no, because, because the company killed the, the sheep. But also there are many cases where they reclaim because the company said they would give them and the company does not. And, you know, it... Yeah. It differs from different uh, between different uh, mining companies also mm. and different territories. Your thoughts, I Marco Pocati. That's only as far out as the company only exists in the certain area where the mine is, but many times the effects of that go way further out past where they have the agreement immediately with the community and and also because of like this stumbling into globalization, there's a lot of illegal mining which is um, like art, artisanal mining, which is people, many, many oftentimes Native people also are so frustrated with corruption. And they say, well, I'm either going to sit here and watch, you know, Canadian or American or Chinese company take all of the mineral wealth out of the ground and make themselves rich, or I'm going to take it out myself. That's the reaction, I think, to, you know, 500 years of, of corruption and theft and it's it's a reasonable reaction because you think well it's gonna you're gonna be left with a big environmental disaster and a hole in the earth anyway i'll just take it out by myself 
And that that's a whole nother thing that happens. And I, I think that um, over the years, they've done a lot of protests to ask the government to give them legality. But the government just pretends, oh, that doesn't exist. There's only formal mining and kind of doesn't connect with them. And, you know, these are all social um, justified social realities that, that need to be addressed. And I think the current administration is completely off. And it's so strange to just speak of like, you know, there's groups of Peruvian citizens in the U.S. who got the Congress, the United States Congress, to write letters uh, asking Biden to cease the military funding to Peru. And that that occurred, not that they ceased any military funding, but, um, you know, the letters got through and people have been reading about it, thinking about it in the Democratic Party here in the United States. And I think it's um, it's really kind of funny. So you have the you have the Biden administration's secretary of state, subsecretary of state, making some declarations about the Boluarte administration saying, you know, Biden is following this from human rights and would like elections as soon as possible. So he went from giving full support to Boluarte in the span of a month to now turning around to saying, um, we want elections as soon as possible. So now you have Biden kind of in accidental agreement, you know, with uh, with AMLO out of Mexico and other Latin American countries that are really uh, critical of the of the of the dictatorial regime in Peru right now. So that that's a strange accident, you know. And um, it wants to give me some hope that the pressure will make things change. If that side of things she can't count on, but you know, we don't know with the politics, you know, it's, it's a very tricky game uh, about the resources and where they're headed. Um, and I think it's very important for Americans to know about the, the lithium and their Tesla car batteries and the rechargeable vehicles and the idea that it's going to make uh, a solution for all our oil problems. And it's going to automatically lead to like a clean lifestyle. And it's like, that is not a solution that is any use to a lot of countries that have the lithium because these kinds of wars and disagreements are going to become more and more common. And a lot of the the repercussions fall to a lot of communities that are completely outside of the mining contracts and end up having, you know, downstream effects. I would like to say that um, that we uh, I don't think it's good if we get an election as soon as possible. So uh, I think that Biden says that because actually that's like the deal. That's the hidden deal, because everybody knows that if we get an election as soon as possible, only the, the parties that are inscribed now, only the right wing parties and, for example, the party belonging to the daughter of the ex-dictator Fujimori, they can they can participate in the elections. But what we need is a new constitution. And to get a new constitution, we need a really broad per- participation of all the indigenous organizations, of all the popular organizations in Peru, like different, diff- I mean, uh, Mm, unions and women's organizations, etc., etc., and this is what we want. Like th- this is really what we want, and this is not what we will get if we get elections as soon as possible. What we want is a it's is a national national assembly as soon as possible to get a new constitution. 
So actually now a lot of congressmen from the right are saying, yeah, we should get elections <laughs> like because yeah, that, that, that would be good for them since actually Dina, is, Dina Boluarte is not the important, the person that really has the power now. So she's just a brick in the game and it's easy to take her away. And that's like the plan is to take her away and put someone else there. And we're speaking with Aymar Copacate and Maria Blanco about the current situation in Peru. We'll be right back here on First Voices Radio. I'm Tioka Singh, Ghost Horse. Come sisters and brothers Dance and sing Let our voices Forever ring For out of our song by Diane Patterson from the album Sacred Sound. Let's go back to Aymar Copacate and Maria Blanco. And we're finishing out the interview we did a few days ago about the situation in Peru and the majority of indigenous peoples in Peru. Thanks for joining us. Let's say they did have elections, which really to me are short-term agreements, quote-unquote, but the long-term effects of not having a constitution will keep it in 
status quo that it's, it's up for grabs. The lithium, the resources, they're up for grabs for the biggest investor and defender of the West, which is basically United States under their own benevolence. But I'm also thinking about how much of a foothold indigenous peoples really do have. As you said, they have so little rights. Can they actually change the system? And yet I think about the the positive, uh, the optimism that majority of that country are indigenous peoples. And I think that should be noted. And we live in the so-called free democracies that we are we are also a very endangered people because it's not about physical presence, it's about the mental presence that we are no longer having because we are also in a colonial coma, so to speak, you see. And I think that's that's what I'm trying to get to is basically indigenous peoples have little rights in Peru. How can we bring that to more light that BBC indigenous peoples, as you mentioned, Maria, who should be more of a participant in this new constitution? I think that that it's very important now that we organize, that we maybe look back to our own territories now, because what what has happened is that a lot of people has been killed and shot and many more will. I think it's it's good to protest and to show that we're not happy with this situation. But I think it's very important and crucial now that we start organizing out in our territories because we cannot count on this state and we need to be defending from this state. And, and uh, I think that organization and also communication between different territories to inspire each other and to support each other when the repression comes, because it will, uh, is, is very important now. And I think that the Zapatistas and in, in Mexico is a very big uh, in, inspiration. And I think that they were very wise because they were very silent for like 10 years. And people thought, oh, nothing happen, happens with them anymore because they were organizing themselves. They were raising new generations to continue this autonomy. And they are still defending their territories so they are growing mentally and they are growing spiritually and they are growing collectively. And when the time comes, that would be crucial for, for the struggle of our people. I think that it's um, historically so difficult because so much life was lost and so much energy was burned for Sendero Luminoso. Um, without considering that these are indigenous people and without considering that our languages and traditions are different from the West or from China. And we were, you know, kind of swept up in this ideology of, um, of Mao and Mao, Maoismo and like, you know, where the proletariat and all these other kinds of just as far and as the religion, as the Catholic religions, you know, and other things. So it's, it's really interesting now to see um, the indigenous identity of these protests, I think is very different from the past. Um, to see, you know, my Aymara people, my grandmother, you know, with the baby on her back being insulted by the Minister of Education and all these just um, 
you know, inflammatory statements by the politicians right now and sectors of, of like the elite in Lima. And it's really just like we said last time, we we're saying the emperor wears no clothes because it's just so disgusting and it's such a display of um, implicit racism and bias that I think that people like to see, would like to assume was further away from where we really are. And I'm really um, encouraged to see the response. And I think that like Lima is a sleeping giant, but Lima doesn't like to think of itself as indigenous. Lima really likes to think of itself, you know, as modern European and, and, you know, the, they're supported in the racism and the, the, the press kind of like just talking about the football, the soccer games, you know, and not what's or Now they want to talk about the weather and the rain. And it's been really frustrating for me from uh, afar to see what's happening in Peru on social media versus from the Peruvian press on the internet. These are two different, completely different worlds. And the coverage is, is really shabby. It's really not good. On, if you look on the internet in Spanish press, it's just kind of like a, a big smear job. Um, you know, and right now you have the Congress trying to criminalize p journalism in different ways. You know, there's all these bills coming out of the Congress to kind of control the, the dissent. Um, so I, I think it's really important to think about civil society and to think of like when we say we, we would like this to be an indigenous uh, protest or an indigenous fight. The other half says, oh, well, I'm not indigenous. So, you know, I just want my money back and my work back and just kind of carrying on. We really have to start to think about civil society, you know, and, and the larger cross sections where, oh, my grandmother was indigenous. Oh, I remember my father said this, you know, little things that people have because 50 years ago, most of those people were Quechua speakers, for example, in, in Lima. And now it's like, you know, people, I, I just feel in these protests, I think I feel more of a a birth of identity or um, or maybe just uh, less shame. Than, than you used to see about identity. Yeah, we don't want a situation like that, like separatism and Sendero Luminoso. I think everybody's, I mean, we were so scared about that. It was so horrible uh, during those years. So I think the great vast major majority of Peruvians don't want that. So... Um, but I think that the positive thing that you could see was people from the Cono Norte, for example, in Lima, from the, um, well, what do you call it? The, from from the outskirts of Lima, like the poor people living in the, like, uh, favelas in Lima. They, they came out, actually, like, in a massive march to, to the Congress House and everything. And I think that was the biggest support that the indigenous people got from Lima was that support. Like the, the people, because they were, they are also like children and grandchildren from migrants coming from the countryside, coming from the mountains to Lima. And, uh, well, also this, this Sendero Luminoso, uh, history that we have has also been something that, um, the, the media, be, that has been bought of, uh, I mean, 
they have been bought from of the Congress from the Congress that they have been they have been using a lot to accuse the 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 people organizing or accuse the people in the demonstrations all the time like you're a terrorist you're a terrorist if you don't think that 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 it's the system is okay as it is then you're a terrorist if you're protesting on the streets you're a terrorist so people are really tired of being blamed of being terrorists all the time and this is not only in peru of course this happened all around the world we're running out of time unfortunately and I really want to, there's plenty of pundits that could come from anywhere, even out of Amazonia. And the reality is that people who are involved, such as yourself, Maria, and Amar, to me, there's a realization that here in North America, there, my people have really either tended to make decisions through the bank or through Mother Earth. One is long-term and one is short-term. One is dependent on a system and the other one is is more in relationship with something that already works. It's thousands and thousands of years old, older than the world's oldest democracy, so to speak. And for these final statements, what can we do to get you back on the air again to keep us going? Because, Maria, this has been really clarity for me as a North American here in so-called the United States. and. We get affected up here as Native peoples to what happens in that area of South America. And, but it feels good all underneath that this is happening. I think that it's it's the way forward is to have hope and understanding that it may not ha- all happen at once, that it's a generational struggle, you know, for the following generations to follow this idea of identity, um, to be less ashamed of their indigenous heritage. And I think that um, I can kind of see, I saw like on some of these videos and live streams, um, women's organizations playing Sikuri, which is a very important panpipe music for us uh, of the Aymara and, and the Andes region of south, uh, Southern Peru specifically. It's it's an Aymara tradition from way back. And it has, the Sikuri is, is the, is is the anaconda and it represents this energy of rebellion that comes from the underground because our gods were you know forced underground when when catholicism came here and to see these young women playing security because traditionally the men would play this music and to think about you know i've been playing this music for like 25 30 years now over the times when i'm in peru and um and there was always some resistance and pushback. No, this is only played, you know, in the dry season, in the winter time, when the crops are resting, because the earth doesn't like to hear these things all in the summertime or any time. And, and the women are not allowed to play it. And then to see it taken up, you know, more and more, because I used to see it in Bolivia first, I would see women playing security. And to kind of think of, um, you know, the moving of traditions to fit, modernity or to fit where people are and what we need to move forward and and to continue a generational struggle is like sometimes you have to let go of the way things were done and you have to have new tools and new ways forward so i see that kind of videos or things like that that are just uh, complete expressions of the past and the future and it gives me you know hope for for new organizations and social movements and and new political leaders and and ways of being because 
No, the Aymara, we don't have a political leader right now because I think that we realize that when you have a leader, they chop off the head. So you don't see any leaders right now. It's just a generalized state of 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 dissent and and the emperor wears no clothes and you can't lie about everything forever and nobody believes you when you do. So it's it's um these things are are um powerful and and I am very um I try to be hopeful about that. Thank you, Aymar Copacate. Maria Blanco, one of my favorite authors one of three favorite authors at Eduardo Galliano, who wrote about your father. Hugo Blanco was born twice. It would seem that's what is happening now, that the consciousness, not the conscience, but the consciousness of Peru, the indigenous peoples in the Western Hemisphere are reviving, are coming to life again. And that that cannot be stopped this time, no matter how hopeful we are, it's the earth or relationship with the earth. So I want to, you know, put that beside what you have to say. Um, and I think that that was talking about generations such as you are coming from your father, as Imar talked about, you know, the long legacy of indigenous peoples within the Western hemisphere. Mm. Yeah, well, I think that this consciousness is very beautiful because I've been, I've been, uh, um, well, accompanying some uh, indigenous communities in, in the Cusco region, in the Sacred Valley of the Incas. And uh, when I was working there with young people and children and also adults, I could notice sometimes you thought that, okay, the young people are only looking at their cell phones all the time and that this Western culture and they want to migrate and everything. But, but it is e very interesting now when you see the regular people on the street, indigenous people, talking with such a consciousness that I couldn't believe like this was like, this has, has been happening so fast because it was something that we had in our hearts. It was, it was uh, something that we, a repression and, and something that we knew and I think that the majority of Peruvians know and feels that something is deeply wrong in our society and something is deeply unfair and that we have this historical feeling of that, that we need justice. At some point we will, we will have justice and we will claim justice. So I think that the key, um, well, the key words I would like to finish with uh, is that we need to organize, we need to weave webs, worldwide webs, uh, but also national and provincial and between people, between these grassroots people that, that eventually will change uh, the world. That is what I think. Oh, and Maria. we could do it silently, no problem. Or, <laughs> I mean, we, there are many ways to do it. And the Sikuris is one way. The culture is really important, of course. We know that even when they take our territories, the culture is still alive. And, and the, the Sikuris is a very strong thing. And as also always Manuel says, <laughs> because he's a, also a friend of mine, he says, we always need to question ourselves. We always need to look at ourselves in the mirror and see uh, who, you know, um, we need, we need, we need to, to see if we are patriarchal, if we are colonial, if we are racist, if we 
are capitalistic because because we also are. So we need we need to to question that and we need to change that every day. And every day is a new day. So every every day we will be able to. We just Beautiful. need to to make the decision. Beautiful. Thank you for that. And such an honor to have both of you on First Voices Radio. And there's such a thing as, and I'll say this to, to sort of conclude what we're saying, is that you cannot awaken someone who's pretending to be awake because they're saying all the right words to bypass what the reality is. In other words, there are people who are pretending to know what's really going on, but I get the feeling from both of you that you know what's going on without having to use a woke language, which is very trendy in the United States. So thank you again, Maria and Aymar. Thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you. you so thank much you. also. Okay. I think that woke language is a whole other show, but it's super strange. It's very weird. It is. I'm trying yeah. to sort it out. That was Maria Blanco and Aymar Copacate. You've been hearing for the last 30, 40 minutes or so. I'd like to thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous Radio.org for archive downloading and listening. First Voices Radio. We appreciate you all for listening. I'll see you again eventually. My name is Teokasin Ghost Horse.
the jungle are living some little men and women. They are all past. And maybe, maybe they are all future. Seven days. 
on. 